Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, we are going to be looking at Genesis 37 through 50, okay? So we're going to preach for about two and a half hours. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Hey, you guys are so nice today. You know I'm joking though, right? Uh, so as we study this, let me just kind of share with you a few things uh, before we get started. Uh, can we just celebrate? You've heard this a couple of times at this point, uh, but we have completely paid off the land that's behind us. Can we celebrate for that? Uh, our church took it as a mission. Uh, within about seven or eight years, uh, we paid off 450000 That's a testimony of your faithful giving. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, the next stage, uh, just to kind of keep you in the loop of what's going on, uh, we are working with an architect uh, on the design portion uh, for what the next location will look like. Uh, we are in the second phase of that. Uh, so that's working behind the scenes as we continue to move forward. So I'm excited. Are you excited? Uh, the Lord is faithful and we get to celebrate that together this morning, okay? Uh, so let's dig into our sermon series called Heroes and Villains. Uh, I hope that over these past couple of weeks you have learned how if you have been a villain, maybe you're ready to kind of switch over to the cape and all those things of being a hero. Uh, but this morning we're going to look at an incredible hero, an incredible group of villains and what took place in their life. How many of you dream? Now let me specify this, not like visionary, dreaming, five-year plan, 10-year plan. But how many of you, when you go to sleep, you typically dream? Anybody? Okay. Um, I'm not much of a dreamer, uh, but have you ever wondered what those dreams meant? Uh, there's sometimes that I'll wake up mad at my wife because of something that she did in my dream. Anybody with me? Uh, sometimes she'll wake up and she's mad at me and I'm like, Melissa, what did I do? You slept. Okay, sorry. Uh, but it's crazy what we kind of go through when it comes to that. So maybe some interpretations to your dreams will help you. Uh, these are the most common dreams that are had and the interpretation of them. How many of you have had the, the dream of falling? Where you're just falling? How many of you have had it in church and you had those little Pentecostal hands go up? Uh, so, boy, you just think, you go, okay, if that happens this morning, I know you're just falling asleep and you're paying attention to the message. Listen, the understanding of falling, of the, uh, the, the, and it's funny because this happens usually in the first uh, couple of minutes of you falling asleep. You wake up and you're like, I felt, I had a friend of mine that growing up, he never felt like he hit the bottom. Does anybody ever hit the bottom? Okay. He always felt like if he hit the bottom, he would bounce up and be like Rambo or something. Uh, but here's the definition of what that means. This means that you are experiencing anxiety, feeling chased, or dealing with conflict. And then this is just, the, the range of this is that this dream could mean anything or even that you're falling in love. Uh, so it's, that's the definition of it. How many of you have had the dream of your teeth falling out? This is one of the most common dreams that takes place. Listen, <laughs> this, is a, this is one that you can read about more than anybody. How many of you, when you have a dream, are going to text me at 2 o'clock this morning to let me know what dream you had? This means that you're dealing with stress and big life changes. Another one, losing teeth. This is the fear of being in public without clothes and taking a test and fears of embarrassment. But we think about it and we try to figure out what our dreams mean. Now listen, if you dream during my sermon 
I pray it's an evil one, okay? Just straight out up front, with it. just kidding. So when we go to dreaming and understanding what this is, we dream the most in our childhood. It's interesting that if you can watch your child sleep, a lot of times they're having a dream or something's taking place. Another place where we, not we, but people dream often is during pregnancy. Uh, This is, for some reason, pregnancy and the effects that it has on a lady's body uh, allow you to dream a lot more. Another place that we dream a lot is while we are grieving. Uh, When we're going through something difficult, we have dreams that go with this. Have you ever wondered how many dreams that you typically have a night? Most nights you have between four and six dreams a night. Now, how many of you never remember your dreams? Usually when I wake up, I have no recollection other than I went to sleep and I woke up. Um, but I did have a very real dream when I was off at college. I was off at ba- uh, Boston or Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, as I was there, I had this dream. And the dream went something like this. My parents had both died in a car wreck. And I had went off to college at Baptist Bible College, and I was in my dorm. And that's when I woke up. Anybody? Now, when I woke up, I was kind of in that uh, euphoric state trying to kind of figure out. And I didn't want to go around college asking, hey, did my parents die last week? Because that's just a little strange. And so the only thing that I really knew to do was to call home and to see if my parents were still alive. I'm sitting there going, man, this is like the most nerve-wracking phone call that I've ever made. And But when my mom answered the phone at like 9 o'clock in the morning, I was so relieved to know that they were still alive. Anybody ever had anything happen like that? When you think about your dreams and you think about what they are, sometimes they have a major effect on our life. This morning, we're going to look at an individual that is one of the heroes of the faith that had apparent dreams that kind of ruffled some other people the wrong way. So when you think about Joseph and you think about the life of Joseph, you think about him as being a dreamer. Joseph the dreamer is sometimes the nickname that's laid with him. When you think, I didn't even mean to do that, but dreamer laid with him, got it? Uh, sorry, that's just how my brain works some mornings. Uh, but Jacob, to understand who he is, Jacob was the baby brother of 11 brothers. Now, how many of you already don't like him because he's the baby? Man, this is something that we deal with. Joseph was the baby, and it was understood that Joseph was loved more than all of the other brothers. Now, when you think about this, you kind of get frustrated with us, and this kind of speaks close to home. Uh, A fun fact about me, I was the baby in my household for 10 years, and then my little sister came along. Can you imagine having two boys and then this sweet little precious baby girl? My name is Jeff, my brother's name is Jamie, and you know what they called my little sister? Joy. Do you know how much that stings? (laughs) After 10 years of being the baby, getting everything that I wanted, antagonizing my brother relentlessly and never getting in trouble, I got in trouble a lot with my little sister. And so when we understand Joseph, we understand that he's the baby. He's the one that's cared for. If you understand, his father loved him so much that he made him this coat of many colors so that everybody would know he was the one that was loved. So we pick up this story in verse 3, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. 
He says, now Israel, now this is his father's name, Jacob's name. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. (laughs) Can we just stop there? How many of you feel like this is you and your family? Like you're the most loved child that's there. Okay, none of you. So you're all going to relate to this sermon really, really well. How many of you feel like you are the least loved sibling of your parents? <laughs> okay, good. Half of you. The other half of you must not have parents. So uh, we'll, we'll pray for you and have a different sermon next week. Uh, but understand, when you think about this, Israel loved Joseph more than, when scripture says this, this is known by everybody around. He loved him more than any other of his sons. <laughs> Can you imagine that weight on the 10 others? And he says why he loves them. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their, that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now I want you to understand because there's something that begins to take place in this. Because Joseph is so well loved, his brothers look at them and they begin to resent him. They begin to be angry towards him. Now, in all essence, we look at this and we go, that's not really a bad thing. I don't really like Joseph at this point. But imagine that when that hatred begins to come in, this jealousy, this this turning the ten against one, imagine that they could not even speak something peacefully to him. Now, the reality is that all of our families take on some form or shape of this, right? Right? How many of you get along with your siblings? How many of you just have siblings? (laughs) How many of you don't get along with your siblings? How many of you just, how many of you are only children? Okay, that's a whole different message altogether. So sorry, just kidding. But imagine they hated their brother. Reality is that some of us in our family dynamics have this taking place on a regular basis where we can't believe that our brother or our sister has lived a certain life and we begin to get jealous of them or we begin to get angry of them. Now, realize jealousy and anger begin to come in when we begin to look at somebody else and we say, why is it that they are loved more than me? So the cause for this hatred was that this jealousy was deep-rooted in the other ten brothers. Why doesn't my father love me like he loves Joseph? Why does he give him this coat of many colors? He probably didn't have to work as hard, and we'll see that later on. But I want you to understand this. Anger plus time equals hatred. Catch that. Anger plus time equals hatred. It's interesting that hatred doesn't set in immediately. It's something that festers and grows until frustration begins to just really resolve in our hearts. So I want you to think this morning, are you angry at one of your siblings? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? And when, at what point, will it turn into hatred? 
One of the things that over the years I've seen this, if we have unresolved conflict, it causes us to get to a breaking point. Now, the reality is the world that you live in tells you don't deal with anything, act like it never happened, sweep it under the rug, and everything will be just fine. Can I tell you, Scripture tells us the exact opposite. Matthew chapter 18 tells us to deal with conflict in the right fashion, in the right manner, that we would go lovingly and we would confront, confront those wrongs, those things that have taken place in our lives, and that believers would resolve this. You say, Jeff, you don't know my family. You don't understand the people that I have to deal with on a regular basis. But I tell you this, anger plus time is going to lead to hatred in your heart. Look, I see this in marriages. I see this in funerals. One of the toughest scenarios that I deal with in most funerals is this. When the family comes together and they're arguing and they're fighting over something and when they're loved person passes away they begin to divide why do you get this and I don't get this and you are always mom's favorite or you are always dad's favorite and then from that point forward hatred begins to set in so much I tell you this morning we deal with this in the exact same way so we go to Joseph's dreams and he has these dreams, and I'll be honest with you, they don't set really well with me, and I know that they wouldn't set well with me if I was his brother. The first dream goes something like this, now in verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Catch this. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. And I imagine Joseph walking into his brothers going, hey, I had this dream last night and I want to share it with you. I'm so excited. And he shares this dream. He says, hear this dream that I have dreamed. He says, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Anybody mad right now? <laughs> Little baby brother who we already hate says the sheeps around him will bow down to his sheep. Listen to their response. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Really? Really? You're going to be my leader. <laughs> Not going to happen. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. I can imagine that if this scenario played out in my household with me and my brother, and I said, hey, Jamie, I had a dream. You're going to bow down and worship me one day. And him going, oh, me, me too, I had the same dream. Go ahead and bow down and let's practice and then he would cut off my head. <laughs> Dream over. But imagine if your brother came to you and said, you will bow down to me one day. Would you go? Sure. <laughs> Can we go ahead and call Georgia Regional now? They hated him 
even more. Frustrated to the extent that this hatred was continuing to grow. The second dream that he has is in Genesis chapters 37, verses 9 through 11. It says, then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Can you imagine the brothers going, I can't wait to hear what this one is. Man, this is going to be the one that turns us to love you even more. And he says, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow yourselves to the ground before you? Typical response. His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now, I know that we don't have many kids in here, but as parents, if your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I had this really just incredible dream that one day you'll bow before me. How many parents would go, you're no longer my favorite child. Try this. Go to your parents at whatever age and tell them these words and I promise you they would be angry. So we see how these villains are born. We see the, the anger and the frustration and the jealousy and all of these things beginning to unfold. And listen, before we cast this into some story that doesn't relate to us, all of us bear this jealousy. All of us bear this anger. It's what we do with it that matters. I want you to see the results of somebody that did the wrong thing with it. They become the villains in this plot to kill. If you go down to verse 18, it begins to set in. Now to give you kind of a, a, if you've read those in-between verses, you understand that Joseph was not working in the field. And his father sent the youngest sibling out to check on the other 10 brothers to make sure that they were doing their job. And Joseph would be the one that would come back and squeal upon him. Can you imagine? You're the baby, you don't have to work, and you tell on me? He goes up to Dothan where his brothers were last seen. He says they saw him from afar off. Do you know what they noticed about him from afar off? His coat of many colors. The one that just rubbed it in all the more. This bright, shining coat of many colors. You couldn't miss him. It was obviously, you may as well put a big neon sign that says, My father's favorite. Look at his robe. They saw him from afar off. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal was, has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams let him dream from his death, they said. Imagine that their anger, their jealousy, their frustration had overloaded them to the point where they were ready to end his life. Now, let's be real for just a second. 
All of us have probably thought about killing our siblings, right? But we never did it. Can I get an amen? Yet, hopeful. Ten brothers gather together and they say, this is how we end his dreams. Reuben, being the, 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 the half-hearted brother, said to them, shed no blood. Throw him. He said, we can kill him, but we don't need his blood upon our hands. We don't want to do this. And listen, this is exactly what most of us do with our anger and our jealousy. We want something to happen. We want to take part in it, but we don't want the responsibility or the conviction that comes from this. Shed no blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. It's interesting. The first thing that they recognized with him, this robe of many colors that he took, they ripped off of him. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. The plan was this. We're going to leave him in this pit and wild animals are going to come and they're going to do the work for us. They're going to take over. And then all of a sudden, when we see that he's dead, we'll dip his coat in his blood and take it back to our father and say, we're so sorry he fell into a pit and he died. And the brothers could go on living their merry lives knowing that this favorite dreamer was gone. I want you to think with me. How many of you have plotted against somebody that you're jealous of? How many of you have put together a scheme and a plan of somebody that you're angry with? It just hasn't come to fruition yet. So I love this as the ten brothers gather in Genesis chapter 37 verse 25 through 28. We see things begin to change. Uh, Plan A was let him die at the base of this place. And then they came up with a better plan. Genesis chapter 27 and verse 25, or 37, verse 25 through 28. He says, then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. On their way to carry it down to Egypt, then Judah said to his brothers, aha, I've got this figured out. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. We don't have to kill him and we get money from this. Can you imagine the brothers going, we get paid to get rid of our little brother who we don't like? He says, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand, we don't even have to deal with this anymore, our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. I want you to skip down to this last part of verse 28 and see what they sold him for. For 20 shekels of silver was the price that they were paid to sell their brother. story continues to go that they take back his coat of many colors to his father 
His father is just completely brokenhearted. He rents his garments. He tears his garments. He goes into mourning because his favorite son is now gone. Now in this passage of scripture, we have a very clear hero and a very clear villain. The villains are definitely the brothers who conspired against him. Listen, I want you to understand that most of you may relate in the same way because as I'm preaching this morning, you are scheming up a plan to get somebody back for something that they've done. And I tell you, don't be that villain. To give you kind of some of these lessons that we can learn from this, I wish I had two hours to preach the rest of this message Because Joseph goes into a place and he's elevated to leadership and Potiphar's wife, the only thing that he can't have in the kingdom, conspires against him and she becomes a villain to him. As he goes further, if you read the rest of these chapters, you'll see that he ends up in jail. He interprets dreams and ultimately one of the people helps him out. But Potiphar goes, or not Potiphar, but Pharaoh goes to him and begins to be this trusted resource for him. But yet he deals with continual villains. And so one of the lessons that I want you to learn this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, you may face a lot of villains. Look, the misconception is this. Once I accept Christ, nobody's going to be against me. Everything is going to be perfect. My life is going to be overjoyed. I wish I could tell you that that's the case, but that's not the case. Joseph faced his brothers. And look, you may look at Joseph and say, maybe he was a villain. Maybe he was prideful, arrogant, boastful. Maybe he was continually rubbing it in his brother's face. I'm the favorite one. You may have many villains that you're going against this morning. For some it may be a spouse. For some it may be parents. For some may it be co-workers. But I want you to understand, there's a continued theme if you read all of these verses. That God can turn a tragedy into a triumph. Imagine that if Joseph continually felt sorry for himself. Continually frustrated, my brothers sold me. Look, that's years of therapy to get over That's years of counseling. That's years of just anger and frustration. And I know if it were me, I would look back and I would say, wait till I see my brothers again. I'm going to take them out one by one. He could have given up in every situation. But listen, no matter what situation he was in, if he was with Potiphar's wife and running from her and pleading and telling the truth, if you look at Joseph's life, there is a continued theme. He did what was right in every situation. God turned it into a triumph. 
Joseph's given this opportunity. Once he's with Pharaoh, he rises to power. And he tells Pharaoh of a dream that there's going to be a famine in the land. And so they work hard to make sure all of the people of Israel will be taken care of throughout this famine. Joseph's brothers come begging from the people to be relieved and to have food from the famine. And Joseph sees them. I want you to think, what would you do in this moment? Would you put together the Roman guard and put together the soldiers and go, hey, go bring those guys before me. I'm going to make this dream come true. Would you have them bowed before you as your subjects before you? Joseph's response is completely different. He welcomes them in. He eats with them. He cares for them. He moves them into the kingdom to make sure that they're taken care of. God can turn a tragedy into a triumph. Third thing that we can learn from Joseph's life is this. God was always present with Joseph. One of the things that if you read through these passages of Scripture, you're going to see this in Genesis 39 and verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Every passage of Scripture that you look through in the life of Joseph, you see that theme presented. Look, I want you to know this morning, you are not alone. God is with you the same way that he is with Joseph. He gave him strength. He gave him comfort. He gave him direction. He gave him the ability to interpret the dreams that other people had around him. So I want to close with this. Joseph gives us this great example of how we should respond to the villains in our life. In Genesis chapter 50 and verses 15 through 21, you see kind of the conclusion of his life at this point. You see that his father had passed away previous to this. And you see his response because his brothers were extremely afraid of Joseph's father dying. They thought as long as Joseph's father was alive, Joseph would do the right thing and he would take care of him and he would honor his father. But they were genuinely concerned that he would turn against them. So we pick this up in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will finally hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. The ten brothers put together another plan and another scheme and listen to what they do. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin. (laughs) Can you imagine? Hey, dad wants you to forgive us. I know we tried to kill you and then we sold you and all these things have happened to you since, but dad wants you to forgive us. Please forgive the transgressions. Or say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. 
And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Listen to what happens next. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Listen to what Joseph's response was. Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. I was put in the place that God intended for me to be in. Listen, some need to come to this realization that you don't need to be mad at your circumstances, frustrated with where you are. You are exactly where God has placed you right now. Being mad, angry, and frustrated about it does not help. Listen to what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I want you to think, how do you respond to villains in your life? Do you show them forgiveness? Do you show them love? Do you show them grace? Or are you on that opposite spectrum where jealousy has begun to set in and anger and frustration has began to take a stronghold in your life and ultimately that will lead to hatred? God's intention for you is to understand that forgiveness is His act. It's interesting. I was reading the correlation here. Because as soon as I saw that it was 20 shekels of silver that his brother was sold for, I immediately was looking to what Jesus was sold by Judas to the people there. And it was 30 shekels. Now, we're probably a little bit more real with inflation than most But imagine that Jesus was sold by somebody that he loved, a brother in Christ that he had ministered to for three years. And he forgave him also. One of the things that's destroying our society is jealousy, anger, and hatred. We continually look at people that are different than us, that have more than us, and we become jealous. We're so close to being angry, and we're so close to turning it into hatred. I tell you this morning, when God considers a hero, forgiveness is an active part of a hero's life. So I beg of you as your shepherd, somebody that loves you, that prays for you, that genuinely cares for you. Whatever jealousy, 
whatever anger that's in your heart, put it aside. And let God work. I think about this. I think Joseph had every right to be angry. He had every right. Nobody more worthy of vengeance than the one that was sold by his brothers. (laughs) But he knew God was at work in his life. And he allowed forgiveness to set in. So this morning I ask you, what anger are you carrying? What frustration, what jealousy, what is it that you are holding on into your heart? And I tell you this morning, let it go. Put it at the foot of the cross and let Jesus begin to heal it. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to press a little bit further this morning. I'd ask that every head be bowed and every eye be closed at this point and I want to be the only one that's looking around at this moment. How many of you would just say, Jeff, would you please pray for me? There's a little bit of jealousy, there's a little bit of anger that's in my heart and I need to put it to rest. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Say, Jeff, man, please pray for me. Man, thank you guys. About half of our congregation. My prayer this morning is that when this beautiful old hymn that's getting ready to be sung, that as the words begin to get sung, that your heart moves. That all of those feelings of jealousy and anger and resentment begin to fall away. And the weight of that would be lifted off of you. That you would understand that God has placed you in the position that you're in right now to bring glory and honor to Him. To show His love. Dear Father, I come to you humbly this morning. Knowing that you defined forgiveness. Some of your last words on the cross after they had brutally beaten you, after they had put you there. Your words say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they did. Would I come to you humbly this morning, seeking forgiveness for anger, jealousy, and resentment? Father, praying that our congregation, the people that are in this room that are holding on to those things, Lord, place them at this altar. Put it in your hands. Would you tell us that vengeance is yours, saith the Lord. It's not ours. Lord, allow us to begin to forgive the people in our lives that are villains. Father, I love you and I praise you this morning. Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.
if everybody would stand as the worship team is going to sing this song. You'll probably recognize the words and the tune and everything that comes with it. I know that for some it's a little bit unfamiliar, but there's something special and almost sacred about coming forward and saying, God, I want to do business with these things. This altar is open to you. But if you want to come forward and say, God, I'm tired of carrying the anger, the jealousy, the resentment. I'm ready for forgiveness to set in. This altar is open to you.